Welcome to the latest Tablet podcast. My name is Ruth Gledtel and I'm an assistant editor at The Tablet. Today I'm delighted to have with me Christopher Lamb, The Tablet's Rome correspondent. And in the latest edition of our magazine, Chris has spoken to the new head of the DDF. And Chris is going to tell us what the DDF is, if you don't know, but I'm sure you already do. And this is the Cardinal Designate, Victor Manuel Fernandez. Chris, this has been quite a controversial and interesting appointment, hasn't it? And there's been quite a lot of chat on social media about it. Um, but generally, uh, it, it's you. We, we have as our headline uh, in the magazine, Francis finds his striker. Um, and that certainly conveys the impression of a man of action, a man who's going to kick the ball into the net and get the synod done. Um, would that be a, an accurate impression, do you think? Well, I certainly think he's going to be uh, quite a proactive uh, leader of the DDF, which is the dicastery for the doctrine of the faith, the former holy office, the oldest department in the Roman Curia. And uh, Archbishop Victor Manuel Fernandez is known to everyone by his nickname, which is Tucho. And Tucho was the name that comes from a nickname that was given to uh, the high-scoring Argentinian footballer Norberto Mendes, who played for the Argentinian national team uh, between 1945 and 1956. So uh, you get the the impression that that Tucho is, or Tucho Fernandez, is very much someone who wants to be a proactive uh, communicator. First of all, he's given a lot of interviews. Uh, including to to me uh, for the tablet. Um, He is someone who has written a lot of theology. He's written over 300 books and articles. And he's also someone very much in line with Pope Francis' thinking. And he, of course, has been a very trusted theological advisor to Francis over the years, advising him or helping to write the very important Aparecida document in 2007, which is a kind of blueprint for the Latin American church. He uh, is also believed to have influenced Amoris Laetitia, the Pope's family life document, Evangelii Gaudium, which is the sort of manifesto document for this papacy, and also Laudato see the document on the environment. So with the appointment of, of, of Tucho Fernandez, we have a new prefect of the doctrine office who is going to be very much in line with this pontificate and crucially is going to try and ensure the doctrine office which in the past was very much a department that policed orthodoxy investigated theologians operated in a kind of command and control way um, is, of course, the office that was once responsible for the Inquisition. He is opening a new moment for that office because he is saying that doctrine is not something simply to be um, policed by the office. Of course, you're going to have someone has to, to, to you know, be the referee. But the primary role he's going to carry out is to try and put doctrine at the service of evangelization. Try and explain to the world why Christian faith matters, why Christian faith is relevant. Uh, and this is a, a, a big shift. Um, now, let's just, talk, 
let's, let's just talk a little bit. Um, yeah, I want to carry on with that train of thought, but let's. I just want to go back a little bit to the this question of the um, DDF, formerly the CDF, Congregation for the Doctrine of the Faith. So when, when I was at the Times some years ago, um, when early early on, in, as as my time there as the religious affairs correspondent, um, when Ratzinger, Cardinal Ratzinger, was appointed head of the Congregation for the Doctrine of the Faith. Um, rather mischievously, whenever I wrote about it in the Times, I would say the Congregation for the Doctrine of the Faith, formerly the Inquisition. And this used to annoy people terribly, and eventually I was prevailed upon to stop doing it, um, probably rightly so. Nevertheless, under Cardinal Ratzinger, and, and this kind of um, reputation followed him really into his time as when he became Pope, um, he um, Pope Benedict, he developed this um, reputation as God's Rottweiler, which became his nickname, which wasn't really an accurate impression of the Ratzinger that we came to know and actually love as Pope. Um, he turned out to be a very different person once removed from that particular role as head of the CDF. So it was kind of um, a role he was almost forced into. Now, one of the reasons he was good um, at it in the terms with which um, he was given to do it at that time was because he was such um, an exemplary theologian and he really knew his tradition. You know, he, he knew it down to the last comma, dot, and exclamation mark. And um, he knew what he was doing and he knew um, he knew doctrine, if, if you like. He, he knew where everything began and where everything ended. And he was able to quote chapter and verse and knew where to go to for sources. And this this made him very effective, and and of course also in the way that um, this role was enacted at the time, it did it did give the appearance of being incredibly ruthless. And a lot of theologians and liberation um, theology people, uh, as is well attested, um, suffered uh, um, real blows to their you know careers. So it's it's a kind of mixed heritage. Um, so now. With this new man, as I understand it, with Archbishop Fernandez, what we are really having is a pivot in the way this office is expressed and manifested. And as you say, with the focus being on using doctrine in the service of evangelization. Um, so, um, but what um, Fernandez, as I understand it, is not, is he's not a theologian of the class that Ratzinger was. Is this going to what be is a problem? problem do you think well i think he's he's a very different theologian he's not um a european theologian he is the first latin american and the first argentinian theologian or the prefect of the of the doctrine of the faith so he, it is going to be very different um uh, i think just to just to pick up on what you were saying about about cardinal ratzinger it, it was always quite curious because on the one hand cardinal ratzinger was as a theologian was someone willing to dialogue, was someone willing to engage with the, the big ideas of the day. And he did do that as a, as a theologian, and he wrote some brilliant theology, but he didn't seem to be able to reform some of the culture within the, the doctrine office, which still had this mentality during his time that it had to police uh, theologians and, and, and investigate those it felt had stepped out of the boundary lines. Um, but I would say that Archbishop Fernandez is a, is a very different theologian to previous doctrine prefects. 
in the sense that he his theology is very much it's a pastorally engaged theology. So um, he someone who has been involved in pastoral work alongside his his theology or his theological research. Um, and he's someone who has really gone out into the public square and tried to communicate the big ideas of faith. So, look, he's not from the um, classical European schools of theology, but he's someone who certainly has engaged with all the major ideas. His doctorate was was in St. Bonaventure. He has um, studied Rana von Balthasar, he knows the European schools of theology. He's also, in, in the interview I've done with them, quoted the German philosopher Gadamer um, to, to underline a point about the perspective that he will bring um, as a theologian and as the prefect of the faith. So I think it's going to be very different, um, but I think it's not going to be any less lively when it comes to theological discussion and debate. No, but it won't be so punitive, will it, as as the um, doctrine office has had a reputation for being, um, certainly, maybe not so much under Francis, but certainly under previous popes. That's right. And it, sh- it should be stated that um, the investigations of theologians that took place during uh, John Paul II's papacy, and to some extent under, under Benedict, have largely stopped under Francis. Um, you know, you may remember that um, the Doctrine Office was involved in, a, in an investigation of the leadership of the U.S. nuns um, during Benedict's papacy, which was very controversial. That ended yes. up brought to a conclusion under Francis. Those kind of things we're not going to see. Um, and that now, we welcome that, don't we? I mean, that that's a yes. good thing. <laughs> yeah, that, that that's that that's a good thing. Um, but at, at the same time, there will be. Um, challenges for uh, Archbishop Fernandez to to deal with. But what was interesting in his interview with me was that he has indicated that he will be taking a very different approach when it comes to the doctrinal questions that are presented to the Doctrine Office. Now, it's important to know that one of the ways the Doctrine Office runs is that it receives a lot of questions, dubia, um, uh, and, and, and also... Um, denunciations and allegations, etc., uh, around doctrine. I mean, of course, it does have a separate uh, office or separate section to deal with abuse cases, but that's not something that Fernandez is going to be focused on. But anyway, the, the way the, the, the doctrine office has worked is that it has responded to questions, to dubia. So, for example, the uh, teaching or the document barring same-sex blessings in 2021. That was a response to a question, can the Catholic Church bless same-sex unions? And the CDF said, answer, no, and then explained its reasons. Now, what Fernandez is saying to me is that there's going to have to be a different way of dealing with these questions. Um, He's already actually opened up a possible revision of that 2021 ruling. But what he's saying is, and what Francis is asking of him, is is to include the recent magisterium, that is the teaching of Francis, who prefers dialogue, who emphasises um, accompaniment, 
over condemnation. Uh, and so I think when there are doctrinal problems, the focus will be on, well, how can we dialogue? How can we uh, understand uh, each other and get to a better position? And that, I think, is the key, one of the key shifts that's going to take place. And that's something that he's spoken about um, in his interview with me in the tablet this week. I mean, we're seeing a real change of emphasis in the church from a Western church to a much more Latin church, as we knew would happen with Francis being a Latin pope. But um, your interview with him was conducted in Spanish, wasn't it? Does he speak well, English at all? I think he does speak some English, but um, I sent my questions over to him in Spanish. Um, uh, he has given a, a huge number of interviews. Um, uh, I don't think many prefects of the doctrine office have, have you ever, ever given that many interviews. I don't think any of them any of his predecessors have given that many interviews. Um, and that again shows this desire to, to dialogue. Um, Absolutely. On his Facebook page, he's so prolific as well. You know, if you, you can read all about his thoughts and everything on his Facebook page, which, you know, is absolutely fantastic. Yeah. It's so and wonderful. He even, res even responds to, to people who um, attack him in, kind of, <laughs> in, in, in quite amusing and, and novel ways. Um, it's, uh, it, it's, it's, it's really quite extraordinary and it's stuff. really so refreshing it's really wonderful actually he's only 61 as well isn't he so he's he's kind of comparatively quite young compared to a lot of the senior clergy in rome yes it, it's very much uh, being seen as a legacy appointment by francis to bring fernandez in because he is as you say um going to be 61 very soon and could be in post for for some years given that i'm um, senior figures of in the church or bishops retire at 75 and cardinals retire at 80 um, and he is going to be named a cardinal at the next consistory uh, later this year. So where does the, this leave us then in terms of the synod which is coming up the first meeting of the synod in Rome coming up in um, this later this year um, and um, this massive reform process you've been doing this podcast series um, with Durham on the church's radical reform, all about the synodal process, and listeners here can find those podcasts on the tablet website. Um, where, where does this, it, this is quite significant, isn't it, in terms of um, the Pope's ambitions for the synod and the synodal process? Yes, I think it's very important for the synod process because I think had Archbishop Fernandez not been appointed, there would have been a concern that the Doctrine Office might have viewed the Synod um, almost like a teacher viewing um, you know, a student submitting their homework and would have, after the Synod was over, got their red pen out and started to strike things off or rewrite things or take control. In other words, um, it would have had no um, agency really, no real power to... Well, it, it, the, the, the Doctrine Office could have been seen as a block to the Synodal process, is, yes. is, is what the fear would have been. But now that that um, Archbishop Fernandez is in post, I think we can see uh, that the Doctrine Office and, and certainly certainly the leader of it, the new prefect, will be someone very much involved in the discernment process for the Synod, someone playing his role. And he, you know, he said to me in the interview that the Synod will be, will be a, a precious space for listening to voices from all over the world, from different cultures. How can we not learn from this ecclesial event? 
And then he said, I will have something to say and I will say it. But even if I am prefect, my contribution will be a drop of water in a multicolored spring poured out by the spirit. So he's seeing himself as a participant in it, obviously an important voice in it, but not the person who's going to say uh, yes or no. Uh, obviously, that's the role of the Pope. I, but the, the doctor office has an important part to play because, of course, there are some big questions being asked at the Synod. There are, you know, it's obviously the big question over the, the, the role of women in the church. There's questions about church governance, decision making, participation, formation of priests. And all of these questions require theological underpinning, requires theological uh, research and development. And that's where the, the doctrine office, I think, is going to play an important role to, to, you know, to provide those theological resources for the synodal reforms and decisions that are, that are, that are going to be uh, taking place over the coming months and years. Absolutely. Um, now, that quote you mentioned, um, um, I, I, where he said, told you, um, I will have something to say and I will say it, but even if I am prefect, my contribution will be a drop of water in a multicoloured spring poured out by the Spirit. I mean, that's actually really poetic and it's very um, visual in its imagery. And it also, I was reading this week um, a theologian writing about this um, analogy that's often used on courses like the Alpha course, for example, um, when talking about trying to explain the Trinity to new Christians and saying, um, you know, you have the water is H2O, hydrogen and oxygen, and um, water can be in three states. I mean, ice, water and steam and so forth, but it's still the same atoms there and um the the power of water as a as a metaphor and analogy as an explainer and uh, the, you know is so um useful in in evangelization but it's not something that you will uh, that kind of um imagery is not something that you will often read in um, a lot of traditional um magisterium documents um, and, but here he is just coming out with it and saying it to you. My contribution will be a drop of water in a multicoloured spring. I mean, it, that's just fantastic, isn't it? Yes, I, th I think that shows his style and his approach. He's certainly someone who um, is going to, to, to communicate theological ideas in, 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 a, in a creative way. Um, and, and we should point out that, that he, he has um, provoked and sparked a lot of criticism over his some one of his books oh yes i was going to come to that the book is um, the one he wrote in 1995 heal me with your mouth the art of kissing i mean i must admit that's not a title you would expect from a book by a catholic priest so <laughs> what was happening there no no and it, yeah, I, i'm sure um it's not a book he would uh, be seeking to 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 write today or now but he explained that um, the book uh, was written uh, some time ago when he was a younger priest and it was for for teenagers. It was a kind of catechesis, a, a teaching um, text for teenagers. And although the, the title has certainly um, provoked uh, or has led to a lot of criticism or, or questions, Actually, um, if you if you if you read the book um, and you and you look at some of the, the themes, there's actually 
quite a, a strong theology underneath it um in that he's he's trying to say that the the, the kiss represents god's embrace of humanity and so it's, it's the, the you know the physical expression of god's embrace of of, of people uh, and he said i was inspired by a phrase from the time of the fathers of the church that said the incarnation was like a kiss from god to humanity yeah, so that, that's it, such a latin way of putting it isn't it <laughs> so wonderful yeah, yeah and, and obviously there's there's some big elements of the book that 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 are you know make for a bit of uncomfortable reading and i'm sure as i said i don't think it would be one that he'd be rushing to 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 reissue um but i think the the, the criticism has, has been totally overblown because if you if you study the book and look at it, it there is a deeper theological uh, point that he's trying to make and it, and it was also i think to encourage teenagers to look at forming relationships rather than um casual sexual relationships it was about trying to to to, to communicate a concept to teenagers about intimacy and love uh, and to relate that to god and i think there was you know there, there was something there is something there that 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 is that is that can connect with younger people yes absolutely i totally agree and um it does it does seem to me um a very exciting and imaginative appointment and um to me it shows um pope francis doubling down really on his determination to reform and his determination not to be um, beaten into submission by um his vocal opponents and um i, I think that to me, it also seems to signify that Francis is winning. You know, the, the, having this man in that position is is going to really be a game changer. You know, to continue the football analogies, don't you think? Uh, it, it it could well be. Um, it's it's certainly set up, set off something of an earthquake. I think um, in, in Rome, um, it definitely sends a message that Francis wants to continue with the pace of reform to pick up the pace of change um, we've had an extraordinary nine days in july the first nine days of july with the appointment of, of tutor fernandez followed by the announcement of the synod participants and then the names of new cardinals um, on sunday and also details of the trip to mongolia so francis is is really i think showing uh, the church and the world that he wants to keep going uh, yes he has had some health challenges yes he's 86 but there is certainly a desire to to maintain the intensity and it, it, it is is remarkable um for for, for a, a pope who has come kind of like up against some pretty strong opposition inside the church that he is willing to um to, to, to keep pushing forward and I don't think the opposition has that much effect at all on Francis. Um, he is really, I think, um, inspired by a sense of mission. Uh, as I've always said, he, he never expected to be Pope. Now, he arrived in Rome for the 2013 conclave, the return ticket to Argentina. Mm. Uh, and so this uh, appointment, this, this mission that he has, um, I think just underlines a sense that Francis wants to you know, continue for, for, for as long as he can. 
Do we need to be worried about um, his ongoing health issues? Well, I, he's 86 years old, so um, I think there's always going to be concerns um, from what we've seen recently with the operation um, and the um, being admitted to hospital with bronchitis. There's certainly a, 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 you know, a heightened concern about his health, but there isn't, from, from what we know, a terminal um, problem. It is a question of, of, of old age. Um, and I think what he's been showing recently is that he's, that he's bouncing back um, and that he's going to keep going for as long as, 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 long as possible. Well, thank you, Chris. That's a good point on which to end. And um, we'll speak again soon as, as things kind of continue to hot up in Rome, which is a, a place of a lot of action at the moment. As you say, it's been an incredible July and um, with the Synod coming up later in the year, no, goodness knows what the rest of the year is going to bring. It has the feel of we're only kind of just starting almost. Well, watch this space. The story is certainly hotting up. Good. Thank you very much. And um, if you're listening to this podcast, um, thank you for being here. Uh, please do visit our website and do consider subscribing if you don't already subscribe, thetablet.co.uk slash subscribe. Thank you and see you again at the next one. Thanks, Ruth.